you know, I've been blessed because, you know, this, these kind of groups, and even when I first got exposed to this back in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, um, it was a different mindset than the general population. And sometimes I forget that, you know, how we think different and how we act different and, and some of those things. And I've been doing some um, consulting work with an addiction treatment center um, because one of the things I'll be talking about is how I, going back to the past to bring it into the future is one of my favorite things I used to always do and teach other people is earn while you learn. Don't just pay to go learn something, figure out a way to make money while you're doing it, right? Uh, when I was doing those stop smoking seminars and I wanted to learn how to do them, I found a guy that was doing them and met with him and talked to him. And I ended up um, going on the road for him, learning how to do the seminars, right? And, and I kind of told him up front, you know, um, I said, once I learn how to do this, I'm probably going to stop working with you and do it myself. I was trying to be transparent. He goes, well, don't worry about that. If you do that, fine. If not, maybe we can work out a deal that it's easier for you to uh, just keep working with me. And I did that off and on for about a decade doing those stop smoking weight loss seminars. Uh, so it's about going back to the past to like, how can I earn while I learn, right? You know, and, you know, make it profitable. So that's kind of what's going, and doing that at the rehab center, uh, you know, I can practice, God, I, you can tell I still think like a performer. I can practice new material. You know, I can practice teaching a class and it's to a different clientele. It's, you know, it's, well, it's an addiction treatment center, but it's still, it's the general population. So I can't use our inner jargon that's easy for us to fall into, right? I have to speak at a certain level. And, I, and as Reed said, sometimes you realize a lot of people just don't want this kind of information. You know, I was teaching something, yes, because I always start when I'm there, when I start one of my classes, I start with asking questions. And I explain with the neurology of it, why, at least in theory, in my mind, why asking the questions starts refocusing your neurology you know, to open up what you're looking at, yada, 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 resetting your reticular activating system. I'll use that term here. I won't use it there. You know, your amygdala. And probably out of a group of 20, maybe five get it. I mean, I'm, I'm not making a judgment as I'm making a judgment, right? But you could tell because they're into it, right? And, uh, but I need to, I need to know that, right? And it's it's good for me to know. So if I'm going to take this, you know, and do different stuff, I got to re repackage it, you know. And um, so for me, that's always fun. Like yesterday, I was doing that about the questions, and one of the people there go, "Why do you always do this?" I said, "Well, we're trying to reprogram how you think, trying to create new neural pathways. It's called neuroplasticity." And he said something. He goes, "I don't know." I go, "Well, your best thinking got you in rehab for the third time." Maybe you ought to try some different neural paths. You know? And uh, so I just, I think that's funny. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, and it's fun to, uh, to take this material in a different way. And to be reminded when I'm around this kind of group, it's like, uh, you know, when Reed said about humor, I know that's one of my default. And I also, there's, there's a class somewhere I've got it, I want to take, about humor is a trauma response for a lot, a lot of people. And the person that came up to it, 
that was talking about it said, when you look at all the top comics, they're depressed. Yeah. How many commit suicide or drug themselves, drink themselves to death? Right. And it's that, you know, so they're going to be the, you know, it's, and I'm like that. I'll admit it. You know, like Reed said, something gets a little uncomfortable. I usually got a good joke because it'll deflect, you know, it's a defense mechanism, you know, now don't bring it up again. God damn it. I'm not ready to face it. But, uh, all right. So today we were going to, I was going to talk about this, my cruel summer. We got part two now it's on Amazon, I guess it's, uh, starting to be streamed. It's, uh, part one, part two. Um, I think it just crossed over to its uh, profitable for the producers, you know, which is good to know. Uh, so anyway, and they're gonna they're working to raise money for part three. So anyway, I've been doing those pitches on Facebook. But today we're going to talk about placebos. That you are the placebo, you know, um, and it's a different way, you know. Of course, placebos we all know about, you know, the placebo effect of getting a positive outcome from a uh, basically an inert like substance if we're using the medical model, right? Um, and it's basically mind over mind over body, mind over medicine, right? Um, it's an interesting thing because when you look at the numbers for placebo, you know, how much of the effect of a drug can be attributed to the placebo effect? And of course, this drives researchers when they're doing research on drugs insane, right? Because they're always trying to adjust for the placebo effect, right? And I would say, because I'm a cynic, that it, it gets in the way of their profit, right? That's why, you know, you know, so you have the placebo effect, and then, of course, the nocebo effect, the opposite, where, you know, that even though it's a, it, uh, a substance that should give you some kind of, if we're using the medical model, do some help, but it doesn't seem to. So that's kind of just an overview, but it's about, you know, mind over body, if you will, mind over, you know, giving you the effects that you want, right? Um, and if you do a meta check, uh, uh, you know, a meta-analysis of all the research on the placebo effect. My God, there's a lot of information when you start looking at it, the studies that have been done and that, 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 you know, and especially if you can find the studies that aren't funded in a certain way. That's the way I'll look at it, right? It's like just those studies. And it, and it is kind of cool, right? Um because, I mean, going all the way back to, like, you know, when they studied, why does a voodoo curse seem to work, right? Right? It's like, you know, people are convinced that, you know, the voodoo priest says you're going to die, you end up dying. Uh, there was a researcher back in the 30s, a psychologist named Kasselniak. Krasselnik. It's been a while since I did that, right? He did studies on on that. So, you know, and even though those are very old, old studies going on, you know, 80, 100 years, um, they're still very applicable, right? Um, and I know there's been studies done on psychic, psychic surgeries that they do a lot in like the Philippines and Malaysia, and, and that, where, you know, the person believes they had a, a surgery done psychically, like you'll see somebody, it's, act like they're putting their hand in your chest, but they're removing the tumor and they do this stuff, right? Uh, 
But surprisingly, people, as we would know, those of us in this world, people get better. Right? People get better, you know? Um, there was one little study of um, fake surgeries. Okay? They didn't really do the surgery, but the people thought they got the surgery, therefore they get better. A lot of this can be attributed to the book um, by Maxwell Maltz, not Psycho-Cybernetics, uh, his, his second book. Um, can't think of it off bat. But, he, you know, he was a medical doctor, and his specialty was cosmetic surgery, right? Before he got into the mind stuff, he was a cosmetic surgeon. And he'd always wonder why these people come in and want to get something fixed that he goes, you know, as a surgeon, I'm sitting there, it's like, you know, it's whatever it is. It's, it's symmetrical. You look fine, but they think they're ugly, right? So they get the surgery. And a few times, and, you know, he would uh, basically put the person under anesthetic, tape them up like they had the surgery, do no surgery, right? But they thought they got the surgery, so therefore they felt better. And he said he started doing that because he would do the surgery, like adjust somebody's nose or whatever, and looks better, it's good, but they they would find some other flaw that they'd have to fix, right? I mean, for God's sakes, just Google some of these movie stars that have like, with the, they're addicted to um, cosmetic surgery. Anybody see that? You see that? We're just like, oh, yeah. what the hell happened oh, to you? Yeah. You know? And I won't even go down. There's a whole thing on like why people are addicted to tattoos, but you know, uh, but anyway, so it's, but it's that, you know, people want, you know, to believe. Right. And then the only one I'll mention is the Rogaine study where if you, you know, these group of bald men that got a inert substance that they were told was Rogaine, Rogaine had the exact same hair growth as the people that took the active Right. So it's like, but until they found out that they took the inert subject, then their, their hair fell out. Right. So, you know, so all of these things, right. Um, there was this, this guy, it was an I my term unofficial research, but he was just saying he was a um, oncologist. So he did cancer treatment and he would start when he went get ready to do chemo on somebody, he'd say, well, you know, here's the pamphlets, you know, they have to do the, give you all the info that what's going to happen with your, with your treatment. He's, but he's, 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 I'm trying to find it again. He'd casually say, uh, but you know what, Reed, there's a lot of misinformation about this. You know, yes, some people get very sick, you know, and they might lose their hair and they lose a lot of weight from the chemo, but you know what, most people, they don't even, they hardly even notice that they, that, that anything happened. They get a little bit nauseous, but then it comes back and they're fine. You know, and I'm pretty sure there, you know, from looking at your chart, you're going to be one of the ones that's fine. Right. And then guess what happened? Those people didn't get sick as, as sick. They didn't lose their hair, you know, and it's, you know, cause this guy talked about, and I could use my dad as an example. He went through two rounds of chemo for prostate cancer, uh, radiation, these little pellets they put in you and he did oh, something else. And he, he never lost any of his hair. You know, he died at 87 with a full head of hair after two rounds of chemo, right? And people were surprised, but I'm sitting there going, 
when he when he said he was going through it, he goes, "Yeah, people in my family, we never lose our hair." You know, that was his belief. He goes, "Yeah, you know." He goes, "Yeah, some of the the one urologist was shocked that he didn't lose at least it thin out a little bit, right?" So you know, some of that's interesting. But that the la the one about the chemo, that doctor, it goes back to what they found. This lady that did this meta analysis on placebos that sometimes the active ingredient in whatever treatment you're giving is the nurturing care of the caregiver, the connection with the caregiver, you know? And of course they won't do the study of like, okay, like when we look at the successful cancer treatment doctors, you know, what are their bedside manners as opposed to the ones doing the same treatment? You know, if it's a standardized, you know, in our country, they do stand pretty much unless you're in an experimental protocol. They do a standardized treatment. Why is Billy's success up here and everybody else's is, is good, but it's here, you know? And it could be like what they get at uh, St. Jude's Children's Hospital, where it's an active caregiver that's nurturing and care. It isn't just, you know, hey, Reed, how you doing today? Sit down, sit back. We're going to drop the chemo in your arm and you're going to do fine. Not that I, and then they walk out, right? They're because they're dealing with kids, but they found that the, you know, and from what I read, places like St. Jude's, the big, is it Texas Christian Children's Hospital? Uh, they screen all of their healthcare practitioners, the nurses, the physician's assistants, the physicians, everybody has to have that compassion gene. And if anyone here has ever dealt with the medical community, not all the medical doctors have it. Some of them don't have time. They're just... So anyway, it's the, you know, the healer is the key, the positive effect, the healthy relationship, right? Because again, my favorite quote with placebos, you know, if placebo, you know, since placebos work so well, if you overdose on placebos, will you only think you're dead? Right? Could overdosing on a placebo kill you? Yeah, I don't know. It's an unethical study. It'd be fun to do but it's a kind of an unethical study, right? Uh, but, you know, it's the, so what they find, you know, with, with, with this is you guys, as, as uh, if you're doing health, coaching, healthcare, whether it's, let's not use healthcare, but if you're just doing general coaching, you're a healer underneath it all, you're a healer, you know? Uh, what, you know, what is your, chair side manner, since I won't say bedside manner, you know, or Zoom side manner, since everybody does a lot on Zoom, right? Because you're always talking to that, that creative, healthy part of that person. We get people, I think, that reach out that have a different inner pilot light that they're, they're searching for something different. Maybe, and you know, this has been true for hypnosis as long as I've been around since, since 80, that a lot of times we get the people that have tried everything else, you know, we still get, now it's changing. We get people that hear about it and come in, but usually they've tried everything else. So, so it's all about like helping people relight that inner, inner thing. And you've got to have the, 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 the awareness that you're part of the placebo effect. Are you positive? Are you affirming? Are you, are you doing the things you need to do? You know, because, you know, the number one thing they find when they do the long, some of the longitudinal studies is 
you know, a strong social network is a better predictor of long longevity than any other individual factor, whether you quit smoking or you exercise or you change your diet. If you have a strong personal uh, social network with connections with other people, you know, it's like married people usually live longer than single people. And if not, it just seems longer. Anyway, tough crowd, tough crowd. See, I got to do my humor here, right? No, but it's, I mean, these studies are there and it's like, you know, and the only political statement I'll make is one of the criminal things that happened in the in the shutdown is when they locked down the nursing home and wouldn't let people visit. So they were keeping them alive, but they had no reason to live, as I heard one person say later, you know? Yeah. So it's like, well, I'm not going to see my grandkids or my kid, whatever it is, or go to the the thing, you know, if you've been around nursing homes and, you know, at the theater I, 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 I do used to do a lot of work at, Every Wednesday of a show was uh, these two nursing homes would basically buy out the theater, right? Well, if that's taken away, you know, it gives you the reason to live, you know, uh, because loneliness, uh, more than more than anything, will will drive people to an early grave, or at least that seems to be the 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 things from you know people that like. Are deeper thinkers than me. Right? And again, it's that ability to connect and truly on an interpersonal level, not just, you know, because again, look at the comics. They might have a, you know, they got a good connection with a large group of people, but it's not a real deep interpersonal connection. Right. And, you know, so because that brings up, you know, the stress response. And as we all know, the stress response releases the, the chemicals that age you quicker that break down your system, that do all this other stuff. Where going all the way back to, uh, since Billy's here, I'll throw names out, Dr. Benson and the relaxation response from 1972, right? That's still valid when you do the relaxation and you experience, or you experience a true connection with other people, you get the oxytocin release, the dopamine release, the the NO2, the, um, that, go, that goes up, you know, because uh, um, endorphins are released. It's like, I know they, uh, they, someone said they looked at like that when people go into like a 12-step meeting, um, when they leave, their oxyto oxyto oxytocin level goes up, hopefully not their oxycotton, it's a 12-step meeting, um, but their oxytocin level goes up. It's that connection gene or that connection drug. Dopamine goes up. You feel better. You feel more motivated to continue the recovery. Um, your endorphins. So you have, you know, you just feel better. Right. And so, you know, we got to remember that. And sometimes maybe all we're doing is giving people that ability to heal through relaxation. You know, I know my, uh, my associate, well, he's, he's a friend. Uh, we clash at time, but he's a, he's a good friend. Um, one reason when Scott McFall teaches weight loss to his clinics, he always says your first session is all of, or if he still does, he used to do it, that your first session is all about stress relief. No food, no, just stress relief. That alone, people would start dropping weight because you're, you're, you're lowering the the histamine response and the stress response, which when that drops and the oxytocin goes up and these other things, the uh, um, 
nitrous oxide in your system goes up, you start dropping water weight, so you you lose a couple pounds, right? It, you know, um, so and again, you know, it's it's retraining because the people are stressed because they're overweight, right? And uh, they're trying to change, and of course they're gearing up. And I would say it's also a, a different way of attacking it because <clears throat> you come in expecting you're going to do this big session on, you know, put down the fork, step away from the plate, move your fat ass, whatever the suggestions might be, you know. But all of a sudden, it's just about relaxation. There's no stress. You're not challenging anything, you know. So sometimes the the environment and you are the placebo effect, right? So when you bring that in, it changes how you look at, you know, uh, how you look at the world. And was it Wayne Dyer when you when what you look at changes what whatever that statement is? I think. But that one about, you know, when you when how you look at the world changes, what you see changes. And that's kind of what what we do, you know. So that's the placebo effect and why you are the placebo. Don't be the, is it the nocebo effect. Don't be the opposite, right? You know, don't be the, the doctor walks in and go, yeah, you, you, that shit you did, you thought worked, it didn't work. Right? And God knows I've seen that with certain people. You know, back in the early 80s, there was when HIV was breaking. That was my first job in, in, in social services, was doing HIV education and, and stuff like that while I was in school. And there were things that seemed to be getting people positive responses, things like holistic living, changing your diet, exercising, self-love, all that. But a lot of the medical communities was like, well, that's not going to work. It's a death sentence. Right? And it's like, you know, and you're you're already scared. And so you, those of us that all of us that master hypnosis know you're in a highly charged emotional state, your conscious mind is gone. There's the authority figure basically saying, You're gonna die. The stuff you're doing is irrelevant, you know. And I do know a lot of the people I saw got better dropped out of the medical community with HIV and did the holistic approach. So you're the healer um, and, you know, you're the placebo effect. Don't be the nocebo effect. Don't be the opposite, right? Um, and connect with people, you know, connect with people. And that is part of what we do. And you can do that online just as well. I think our brains are adapting. Once you get comfortable with it, you can truly connect with other people online. Um, no, uh, and that just takes a little practice. So that's my, you are the placebo effect. And let me close with sales pitch. Let me, to be uh, transparent, let me close with going back to what I used to do to now, right? Bring it into the now. I used to do that a lot about, you know, um, teach people how to earn while they're learning, how to take, you know, what you're doing and start making money at it as you're trying to make more money in whatever group that it is that you're, what you're trying to do, whether it's coaching or build your clinic, you know, used to do it when I would do the practice building. Um, in, in when I was in Chicago, first moved to Florida, you know, it's like how to set it up to get it running. So you can start making money now, not six months from now, not a year from now. Right. And so that's one of the things that I'm doing with, um, um, the turbocharger coaching with profitable online classes, right? Because 
there's ways to do it that if you, you know, you create an online class, that's what we'll be talking about in there, that will focus your audience's attention to what you want. And, and then there's a second level, which I'll do later, which is, you know, you can use a test group that you can profit from while you're doing it to sharpen your message so you can really take it to the public. Because many times what happens for a lot of us, we create products that we think people want. Really what it is, we, we know they need it, but they don't want it. And again, going back to the addiction world, oh my God, am I saying that, right? We know what they need, they, they don't want it. Doc, I'm just here to quit drinking. I'm not gonna change my friends. I'm still gonna go to the bar. I'm gonna go to Vegas. I'm gonna do all this stuff. I just wanna not drink. Okay, good luck with that shit. Um, but it's like, you know, there's 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 ways you could bring them in in a way that they want, and then you know, and then help influence them if they want. As Reed was saying, if they want the influence, then you can take them. But also, why not begin? Why not use a way you can profit while you're developing your next course or your next coaching opportunity? You know, who do you want to coach, right? And so that's kind of some of the things that, you know, I'm going to be doing in that turbocharger coaching. And one of the secrets I'll, I'll give away freely, uh, a lot of it is, you know, developing, you know, your macro niche and then your micro niche and how to, because what do they say? The riches are in the niches. They, they've said that for 40 years. It's still true. I still use the example of that lady that had a, as, a, as of a while ago, she made $3 million dollars from a couple of videos that did one thing, teach your dog to heal on cue. And she had, she tried all these other videos about what people, what she thought people wanted with their dogs, but all they really wanted was when I call my dog, I wanted to, to come here. Right. And that just niched down and it, it's the old, uh, an inch wide, but a mile deep. Most of us are a mile wide and an inch, inch deep. That's what a general NLP course is. It's very wide, not very deep. We're giving you all this information. That's cool. But people pay more for the specific information, right? And so, and one of the, you know, your micro niche, how to market it, to the, how to find where they are. You know, that we have, uh, this is what I've been doing for the last couple of years, as a lot of you know, trying to figure out this, this new marketing. And it seems to be, um, uh, seems to be, getting a lot of traction. Um, and so also too, the other thing, my gift or my share would be, if you have a true passion, right? Something that really moves you. That's what a lot of the coaches will pitch you online, you know, take this. Uh, it seems to do better where if you get something close to it, but not, not that, right? Create a course that's somewhat like, you know, close, but not this. Because if it's your true passion, you really want to help people redo their energy and do all this, right? You're so into it, you'll have a tendency to give it away. Right? And so if you can take one step back and start to hear, and then... So instead of doing what you love at first, find something you can do and fall in love with it. And fall in love with that, and then then you can eventually get back over here. Does that make sense? Anyway, that's just all this cool stuff. I've been taking all these classes is you know 
fall in love with this 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 process, whatever it happens to be. So that will be the um, turbocharger coaching with profitable online classes that can become its own little standalone thing. That'll refocus, you know, how the public sees you and places you as an expert. And uh, and it, it's some interesting stuff that we'll be doing. So anyway, if you have any questions, you know, wherever you're seeing this, click on the link below, wherever you're watching this video, make sure you click like and subscribe. I got to remember to do that when I do this. Click like and subscribe, share this information everywhere, and uh, or just direct message me if you're seeing this on Facebook. So everyone have a great day.